Sunday. I'm so excited to be back with you guys. It's such an honor and privilege every time I get to sort of hang out with you, even if it's virtually. And I'm excited today to bring this message called The Table is Prepared for You. And I'll share a little bit about where this comes from. But before we get started, I'd just like to pray. So, Father, you are good, exceedingly good. And we thank you. We thank you for your word, which is alive and applicable to our lives today. We thank you for the incredible sacrifice that is your son, Jesus, and how it is through his life and death and resurrection that your word takes its proper perspective in our lives. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are here with us, wherever we might be, that you are there. And we ask that you speak today. We ask that you speak words of comfort or conviction where they might be needed. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So over the last couple months, uh, Charles and I have been sort of talking through quite a bit as, you know, pastoring through pandemic and trying to figure out what maybe the future looks like. And one of the questions that has been sort of provoked in me in my conversations with Charles has been, uh, as a follower of Jesus, you know, somebody who says, yeah, Jesus is, I follow Jesus. I am, I, I am a follower of Jesus. As that follower of Jesus, what posture should I be taking in light of the realities of today? And what I mean realities is it's us versus them. It's, it's insider versus outsider. It's chaotic. There's anger. There's, thoughtful, there's thoughtlessness. There's, there's fear. And, and it's just sort of a hurting culture. And as I'm experiencing that, what's the posture that I should take? Because I think it's an important question. Like, independent of everything else. As a father, follower of Jesus, what should be the posture that I take in times like this? And so that's been like the question that's been running through my head for a while now. And, and I was listening to some music and I came across this song from, from back in 2016 by Frank Ocean called Godspeed. And I'm going to read this little part of that song that sort of triggered this message. And, and so I'm giving you a little behind the scenes of how all of this came into place. But it says this, it says, I will always, I will always love you how I do. Let go of a prayer for you, just a sweet word. So the table is prepared for you, prepared for you. There will be mountains you won't move. Still, I'll always be there for you how I do. I'll let go of my claim on you. It's a free world. You'll look down on where you came from sometimes, but you will have this place to call home always. And that phrase, the table is prepared for you, caught my attention. Sort of grabbed me. Sometimes listening to a song and all of a sudden there's just like a couple words, a phrase, something that just grabs you. And this grabbed me and it took me back to Psalm 23 where, you know, in verse 5 and 6 it says, "You, David's speaking and he's confessing this and it's his prayer and it's his confession and it's his hope and it's his everything where he says, you prepared a table for me right in front of my enemies. You bathed my head in oil. My cup is so full it spills over. Yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the Lord's house as long as I live. And so this, this sort of 
phrase in a song leads me to the psalm and I begin to think about the psalm and I think, you know, as much as this is a promise and a reminder to David, it's more than that. This this Psalm 23, the, the fact that he says, you've prepared a table for me right in front of my enemies. This is more than just for David. It actually serves as a window into the heart of God as an invitation to all his creation. This is a confession of David, but it's also an insight. It's, an, it's a window into the heart of God for his creation. He says, I've prepared a table for you. There's something I'm inviting you into here that's better than you could understand and that will give you a place of belonging, a place of home, a place to rest, a place to um, grab hope for tomorrow, a place to, to be protected from your enemies. It is a great invitation. And so then as I'm wrestling with this idea of a a table prepared and the invitation of God for his creation. I'm reminded of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And that's sort of where we're going to be today. And so in in Luke 19, we're in the first 10 verses of it. The story starts where Jesus is entering into Jericho as he was passing through town. And as happened so often, people were enamored with the idea of Jesus, questioning who he was. They there's, there's this intrigue, and so people are gathering. And in verse 2, it says, A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. I love that language. And I'm in the common English Bible, but that language of... So not only was he a tax collector, he was like the big deal ruler of tax collectors, and he was rich. Culturally speaking, the way he would be viewed was, Okay, you're a tax collector, but you're a thief. You're wealthy, but it's been ill-earned. Uh, and you're pretty weird and definitely despised. So we have this guy that doesn't fit into the culture, yet he benefits from the culture greatly, and so much so that it makes him fit in even less than he already fits in. And he's trying to see Jesus in verse 3. But being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he's in this position where it doesn't matter all that he has, all that he, his wealth, his his notoriety, his importance, his position, nothing can get him closer to see Jesus than he is right now. And so he ran ahead in the road and he climbed up a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. He says, listen, okay, I'm desperate to see Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to run. I'm going to get ahead of everybody. I'm going to get in a tree. None of the tall people will be able to get in front of me. I'll be able to see Jesus. And when Jesus came to this spot... In verse 5, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. And here is where two things strike me. The first thing is that that Jesus, in the hubbub of crowds and everybody wanting his attention and and the pool of of people shouting for him and grabbing at him and, well, no, you got to talk to this person. They're really important. No, you got to. He sees Zacchaeus who's up in a tree, who's sort of out of the way of the main hubbub that's going on, he sees him, and he calls him by name. Like immediately, he is giving him something way beyond what Zacchaeus could have ever hoped for. 
He sees him, calls him by name, and then invites him into intimacy. And the great thing about this is Jesus doesn't invite him to, hey, we're going to go to this place. He's like, I'm going to go to your home. I'm going to go to the place that is the dearest to you, the place that you feel the most secure, the place where your identity is placed because it is what you have built. It is the, the outward expression of the life that you have chosen to live. It is the place of intimacy. The table is a place where only friends and family gather. And Jesus said, we're going to your home and I'm going to eat with you. It is incredibly intimate. It's an invitation unlike anything that Zacchaeus has ever experienced. And it's one that is deeply personal and deeply, deeply intimate. So at once, Zacchaeus comes down and he's happy to welcome Jesus because he has just experienced this moment with a Savior who sees him and knows him by name and calls him into a moment of intimacy. And and he is belonging, his sense of belonging, his sense of value has drastically changed with a small interaction with Jesus. Now, verse 7, we see what happens to the crowd. Everyone who saw this grumbled. They complained. They said, Jesus loves people. Oh, no. He says, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Like, they're very confused by this, the posture of Jesus to spend time in in his journey with a sinner. And not only spend time with him, but in his home. And it, it brings up all of these issues us versus them. Like, here's the good guys, here's the bad guys. And the tax collectors are clearly the bad guys. Insider versus outsider. We are the ones that are like close to Jesus and we desire him. And this guy is an outsider to the rest of us culturally. Why is he getting a place of intimacy? Why is he being loved by Jesus? And and the truth is that they were not thrilled as we are not thrilled Oftentimes, when Jesus loves the people we dislike, they'd made some decisions about the value that they had placed on Zacchaeus as an individual, as a, as a man, as and, and it was related to his work and what he decided to do. And they said, you know what? Because of what you do, we've decided that you are awful. You're a tax collector. The behavior that you exhibit is unquestionably outside of what we believe is good. And so as a result, you as a person, you as an individual, Zacchaeus, have very little value. And the fact that Jesus gives him value by going to his home and engaging in relationship with him in this intimate way is baffling to the people and it's frustrating. This disrupts the order of insider, outsider, us versus them. It, it, it disrupts the systems we put in place so that we could clearly identify who our enemy is. And Zacchaeus is the enemy. Zacchaeus stopped and he said to the Lord, he said, Look, Lord, I, I give half of my possessions to the poor and I have cheated and if i have cheated anyone i repay them four times as much you see as 
Jesus invites Zacchaeus into relationship as Jesus, essentially, if we want to use the language which we do, because it's the title of the message, as he prepares the table for him. He prepares the table for Zacchaeus. He invites them into the intimacy of relationship, of belonging, and of a value. He saw him. He called him by name before Zacchaeus could ever be confronted with his sin, with his farness from the heart of God, with the, the, the way he had lived his life, his life at the expense of others, the way he had enriched himself at the expense of those that were around him, the way he lived in such a way that was so selfish that it hurt others. Before Jesus could even talk about it, just in the invitation, in the seeing, in the calling by name, in, the, in seeing the table prepared for him, Zacchaeus says, I don't desire this. I desire, I don't desire what I've, I've lived my life pursuing in the exploitation of others for my own enrichment. That holds no light for me. That holds no joy for me. That is not the life I desire. I desire the life of intimacy that you have just invited me into, where my value and my belonging are linked to the way you see me and call me by name. When I see the table you have prepared for me, the table I am sitting at pales in comparison. You see, Jesus not only prepares the table for Zacchaeus, but he gives him his value. Jesus gives him his value, and then Jesus gives him his freedom, and then he gives him purpose. You see it here. He says, if I've cheated anybody, I will repay them. And and the way the story goes on later on, the, 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 the idea in is that Zacchaeus and, and sort of the theological sort of chronological life of, of the ministry of Jesus in the church, we, we can look and point back at Zacchaeus as somebody who financed a lot of the advancement of the ministry of Jesus in the life of the early church. You see, not only did he repair the wounds that he had caused before, but he had purpose for a future that was not selfish, but was selfless. Jesus gave him value. He gave him freedom. He gave him purpose. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. And here Jesus says, here is life, new life and belonging. You're considered right now an outsider from your own people because of the way you have chosen to exploit their the people around you for your own gain, the way you have gamed the system so that you could become wealthy and powerful. And he said, I'm going to give you not only life, but also belonging. I'm going to give you something that no one else can give and that no one else can take away. And then it ends with Jesus saying, the human one came to seek and save the lost. See, I'm struck by how different Jesus' interaction is with Zacchaeus than, than the interactions I'm seeing around me of the followers of Jesus with those they disagree with. I, I see Jesus come 
to Zacchaeus, first of all, seeing him, calling by name and inviting him into in intimacy. And I don't see anywhere where he says, oh, by the way, there's a right and there's a wrong. There's an in, there's an out, and you're on the outs and you're clearly wrong. See, Jesus doesn't have to tell Zacchaeus that he's wrong. Jesus has to tell him there's a place of value and belonging for you. And in just that, in, in realizing there's a table prepared for him, Zacchaeus alone can identify that this is not what I want to give my life to. You see, I think we can show the world a kingdom and its king that has prepared a table for them. And it's unique. It's a mysterious table and an alternative to the, to the lie that we see around us that other people that, the, that others people, this lie that we see around us that makes them and us, that, that says, you're an insider, I'm an outsider. And today, right now, it's, it's lines that are as, as uninteresting and ever-changing as political ideology, sort of dressed up like religious fervor. It's as simple as where we stand in things that mean nothing to the larger picture of the kingdom of God. And it leads us to not even be able to see people, just their positions. If, if Jesus operated with Zacchaeus the way we as followers of Jesus have postured ourselves seemingly, postured ourselves today, he would have never seen him, let alone called him by name. He would have othered him, othered him, ushered him out, outsidered him based on the positions that he held. You see, that leads us to lash out in what we consider righteous judgment, which has no bearing on the reality of the person and the work of Jesus. Like we, we're not in that place to decide because of this, we get to other you. And because we other you, we get to lash out at you in righteous judgment because it's no longer about you as the individual Zacchaeus, as the image bearer of the living God, as the, the, the creation of the creator, as a, as a part of the story of God. That's not what we see. We see the positions you have taken and the actions you have and continue to do. And that allows us to other you in such a way for us to lash out against you in righteous judgment, ignoring who you are and whose you are. In his book, Keep Christianity Weird, Michael Frost talks about it in this way. He says, Jesus is different. Go do the same. <laughs> he says, he talks about the very the, the character of God's kingdom is alternative to the character and values of this world, that the, the kingdom of God operates in such a way completely divorced from the way the, the world around it operates. And that this alternate character of the kingdom of God is incompatible with our domesticated Christianity. And, and the, 
That just means that we've decided that God fits best inside the boxes we have created for him. And the reason that works so well for us is because we're the ones creating the box. And so we're the ones that create the box to put God in. And then when he fits in there very well and we can manage it, we get to determine who gets to get in the box with God. And we get to determine that based on the criteria we find interesting in the moment. And he says, the character of the kingdom of God is incompatible with that domesticated Christianity. He said, the solution to, to a domesticated Christianity is to affirm and empower the weird, the outcast, the outlier, the outsider, the despised Zacchaeus. He says, Christian weirdness is, kind, is a kind of hospitality making room for eccentricity. We are, in essence, called to persevere in active resistance to the domestication of our faith. In other words, if we do not embrace those that Jesus embraced, we convert him into something he never was and present him as something he is not. See, domestication reduces the possibilities of who God is to the smallest of enclosed spaces that exist, the ones we control. It makes God seem so small in comparison to the bigness and the grandness of who He actually is. When we actually embrace the kingdom of God and the posture of Jesus... It allows us to invite and infirm, and not only that, but empower the weird, the other, the despised. And in doing so, we get a glimpse into the fullness or bigness of God, because in the reality is that we cannot see the fullness of God without the whole of His creation. I can only see so much of who God is based on my perspective, my experience, and my understanding, I need to see God through the eyes of a Zacchaeus to be able to begin to see the fullness of who God is. When we, when we domesticate God, when we, when we ignore the fact that He has set a table for us, and not just us, but us as His creation, when we, when we decide who gets to sit at the table and what happens at the table and who talks about the table and who... When we do all of that, we, we rob ourselves of seeing the fullness and bigness of God. Because we are only seeing it through a portion of His creation. See, navigation for us back into the world, as we are in sort of mid-post-pandemic, and, and I understand there's still so much to be figured out there, the Delta variant is like going crazy and there's still questions about vaccines and who's going to get them and who's not going to get them. And I understand that, but it, life is moving us back to something of a normal. Depending on where we are in our jobs, some people have been called back into the offices. Others are been told you never have to come back again. But the reality is we no longer have the luxury of being bystanders in the chaos of the world around us, just looking through the lens of social media 
and the few conversations we have, we are being called as followers of Jesus back into the fray of humanity. And we're being called back into a fray that is divided by us versus them and insider versus outsider. Again, that is chaotic and angry. It's thoughtless and it's a hurting world that we're called back into. It's the hurting world we see all around us. And so we recognize that this is actually the time to invite others to the table that God has prepared for them. To invite the lost, the different, the despised, the weird, the, the ones that Jesus saw value in and gave belonging to. It's time for us to invite them to the, the table God has prepared for us and them. Doing so reminds us that the world does not revolve around us, even though we wished it might. And it points us back to the alternate kingdom of God and all of its mystery and beauty. It also points the world to Jesus. It points the world away from the, the boxes we have placed him in and the ways we've domesticated him and the ways as churches we have expressed him poorly to the, church, to the world around us. It, it points them to Jesus. Jesus, this eccentric fraternizer of the weird, the despised, the other. Jesus, the one who calls out the, the criminally corrupt Zacchaeus by name and invites himself to his home only to see the people around him who loved him and adored him get angry. See, we point people to that Jesus. My hope in all of this is that we have the courage to live out the faith that God has given us through the example of Jesus. See, the faith that God has given us is not just about me and mine. It's about His kingdom as a whole and His creation. It's about calling those that have been othered into belonging, to see them and call them by name. The fact that Jesus was able to do that consistently over the life of his ministry, despite those around him that were trying to domesticate his message, should be an encouragement to us to do the same. To say, I understand that there's differences right now, but I choose to see you and call you by name. Because I need you, actually. I need you to be able to see the fullness of God because you have a perspective that I can't see. I, I choose not to other you in the sense that this is your belief on this subject. And so as a result, I am put you, putting you as a, as a person in that category. It allows us to separate what we see as the position that they hold or the politics that they, they attribute their, their allegiance to and get to separate it and say, let me choose to see you, the creation of the living God. Let me see you and call you by name. Let me see you and invite you into a relationship where we get to together discover the heart of God, see the table he has prepared for us, and then respond like we should. As Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus didn't need to be told that anything 
It was just the place of value and belonging that led him into, on his own, letting go of all the other things that had given him value and meaning. Because none of it compared to the value and belonging and purpose he had in intimacy with Jesus. So this is my prayer. And I, when I say that, it's for me. It's, when I say I'm wrestling with this, it's because, to be honest, it's harder to do this than it is just to put people in categories and choose to hang out with the people that we agree with and like and love. Most days, that's what I'd prefer to do. And sometimes those people uh, surprise us with new things that we didn't expect. But in general, it's good to know that I don't have to worry about you. You think like I do. We're good. But I feel the, the pull and the conviction through the life of Jesus to do more of what he did with the Zacchaeuses around me than what I would like to do with them. I'd like to just continue to other them. I'd still like them to be on the outside and me to be on the inside, to feel good about how right I am and how wrong they are, to have some sort of righteous indignation and judgment against them that I can justify a million different ways, and yet I don't see Jesus doing that. So may we reject the temptation for Christian domestication. May we be courageous and assume the, assume the posture that Jesus took with Zacchaeus. May we look beyond disgust, beyond the differences, to actually see people, to see them and call them by name. Not call them by position, or politics, or whatever. Call them by name. Invite them to the table prepared for them. Remind them of their value. Walk with them towards free freedom. Call out purpose in them. Point them to Jesus, the giver of life, and a place to belong. As we come together to this table set for us, maybe we be awestruck by the fullness of God revealed to us in the whole of His creation. And may we tell everyone, the table is prepared for you. May God bless you this week. May you find moments to take the risk to see people and to call them by name. And may the presence of God guide your thoughts, your words, and your actions this week as you pursue His heart for the world around you. It's worth it because we get to see the fullness of God through the whole of His creation. It's worth it because it's the posture of Jesus. Have a great week of worship, guys.